Yes, I know it's cheesy, but what else do you expect me to do? No, I, I don't have a sketch prepared. I just thought I'd cold open and then say it. What do you mean, why do I want to say it? Doesn't everyone want to say it? I mean, we've all rehearsed doing it. Yes, I know I'm not funny when I'm trying to be funny. Come on. When, when in my life am I going to be able to open a show like this? Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, fine. Yeah. Would you please let me open? Okay? All right? Okay. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, presented by the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. This episode is one that is coming right on the heels of a couple of previous episodes, and it's an episode that's going to be kind of topical? It's a coattails ride attempt at something. Anyway, so uh, the night I record this... Uh, so this is Sunday, this is the morning of Sunday, February 15th, when I'm recording this, uh, which would have been just a few days ago, because I planned on releasing this on that Wednesday. Uh, NBC aired the big 40th anniversary Saturday Night Live special. So I haven't I haven't seen it yet, and I do plan on watching it tonight. It's going to be this massive, massive uh, special. Anyway, uh, the advertisements have looked cool, and, you know, there's no football season anymore, so... It's kind of cool that I have something to watch on a Sunday night. But the other reason I'm, I'm doing this is that I have been watching Saturday Night Live for the better part of the last 25 years. Uh, now, I will admit that my viewing hasn't been entirely regular. And I mostly watch the show on Saturday nights now because I'm up <laughs> and it's on. So I, I don't make it kind of an... It's not my appointment television anymore. But there was a time in junior high and high school where I would not miss Saturday Night Live. Uh, or if I wasn't able to stay up and watch it, I actually would tape it and then just watch it on Sunday. And in thinking about this, and um, thinking about the fact that this show has been on for 40 years and there have been so many people who have been cast members, I thought back to one of the times when Saturday Night Live has had a similar special, which is back in late 1989 when the show celebrated its 15th anniversary. That'll be the bulk of what I'll be talking about on this episode, as well as my personal spirit experience as it is with SNL. Which kind of brings begins with that special, but kind of doesn't. Before I do that, though, I'm going to take a break. So stick around, and I'll be right back. Well then, uh, Scott, can you do me a favor? What's that? I've got an episode coming 
Let's see. It's called Magnus Remembers uh, Superman Returns, so uh, don't listen to that episode. It, this is all kind of, it's all part of my Superman Begins like miniseries that, I, that I'm uh, going through, or was going through. This is all part of the uh, lead-up to Man of Steel coming out on Blu-ray, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got two little interludes. Uh, the first... Lucy, shut the f*** up! <laughs> Sorry about that, it's the dog. <laughs> Prentice Magnus punches reality at twotruefreaks.com. Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Prentice Magnus punches reality every Tuesday at twotruefreaks.com. No animals were harmed in the making of this promo. So if you want a fairly decent history of Saturday Night Live, there are a couple of sources you can seek out that are pretty easy to find. Uh, One is the Treasure Trove of Specials and Best of Compilations that are on Netflix uh, for either rental or streaming. Um, Amazon's got a few as well. VH1 and VH1 Classic have a tendency to air the SNL in the 70s, SNL in the 80s, etc. Retro specials every once in a while, which they're basically clip shows with commentaries from some of the people who were on the show at the time. So Saturday Night Live is available to watch on the internet, uh, and there are tons of clips on NBC's site, and so you can really, really see the history of the show simply through watching old episodes and sketches. Plus, there are some complete seasons available on DVD if you're interested in checking those out. Um, And like I said, Hulu, uh, at least at one point or another, has had a halfway decent archive of episodes and sketches. If you're looking for a good behind-the-scenes history of the show, you can check out Live from New York, which is a book by Tom Shales and James Andrew Miller. It's an oral history of the show. It came out in about 2002. I think something was added to the paperback edition, uh, or there may have been an updated edition at some point. I have the hardcover. Uh, I read it when it came out. It's very well done for the most part. It's long. It's repetitive in places, and they all seem to have a bit too much reverence in there for Lauren Michaels. But overall, it serves as a very interesting and intriguing look at what's become a television institution. Because when you think of it, there are very, very few shows that have been on the air for 40 years. I'm thinking, aside from maybe nightly network news broadcasts, the two shows that come closest to it or have been on longer are Monday Night Football, 60 Minutes, and Sesame Street. I mean, I'm sure there are others, but really, shows that are on for that long are very few and far between. In the late 1980s, the show hadn't been on for that long. Uh, In fact, in the mid-1980s, there were points where the show was nearly canceled due to low ratings. I knew that the show existed during that time because I would see ads for it in TV Guide, a publication that honestly may get its own episode one day because when I was a kid, I loved TV Guide. Anyway, I knew of the show but didn't watch it at the time because I was incredibly young and staying up until 11.30 on a Saturday night wasn't exactly something I could negotiate with my parents. 
But then in 1989, I went to visit my friend Chris at his home in in the Fort Lauderdale area, and he had something that my parents did not, which was cable. And the thing we watched every night was Nick at Night, which had the rights to a half-hour version of Saturday Night Live called The Best of Saturday Night. It would air at, I think, at 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock, followed by an episode of SCTV, which was another show that we found hilarious. Those Best of Saturday Night Live episodes, by the way, featured sketches from the 70s. So it was stuff featuring Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Gilda Radner, Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, Garrett Morris, John Belushi, and Bill Murray. That's where I first saw quite a number of famous sketches and characters from the show, and Chris and I did not miss it whenever it aired, because it was which was awesome because while I was able to stay up that late when I was 12 years old, my parents not having cable meant that if I was watching TV, I was staying up late to watch a baseball game or sitting through the 10 o'clock news on WPIX so I could watch a rerun of Cheers. So it was a real treat, a real, real treat, and we definitely absorbed it. I honestly can't remember what sketches I did see and didn't see, only that I found most of it pretty funny. And now as a public service to those of our viewers who have difficulty with their hearing, I will repeat the top story of the day, aided by the headmaster of the New York School for the Heart of Hearing, Garrett Morris. <laughs> our top story tonight... Our top story tonight... Now, Lisa Francisco, Francisco Franco is still dead. is still dead. Good night and have a pleasant Good night tomorrow. and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs> Fast forward a few months to September of 1989. NBC decides to celebrate the 15th anniversary of the show, which rebounded quite a bit from its mid-80s doldrums. And it puts together this enormous special that basically wound up being a glorified clip show. I'm sure that somewhere in my parents' house, there's actually my old tape of the special. And if I ever wanted to watch it again, I'd have to go up to New York and find it because it's impossible to find any clips of the special on the internet which honestly seems to be a thing about the early 90s. It's not like nothing from the early 90s is available on YouTube or other streaming places, but it seems like that particular time period is one of those weird lost time periods when it comes to the ephemeral archive as it is. Honestly, though, it's not really a special that you have to track down or anything, because like I said, it's a clip show featuring stuff that's readily available. The big thing about it was that one of the, it was one of the first times that the network had been able to get so many past cast members in one place. And while there wasn't much in terms of original content, there were a few interesting bits. First, the show did a cold opening, much like Saturday Night Live used to. In this case, it would be it was backstage with Kevin Nealon and Victoria Jackson admiring some past cast members and Tom Hanks, who they assumed were riffing, but were actually talking about Hollywood business stuff, uh, while John Lovitz was making out with Mary Tyler Moore. Meanwhile, up in Lauren's office, Lauren Michaels and Gene Curtin were arguing with Chevy Chase about whether or not he was going to do his fall, and in the end, he put, it on, he put on a helmet, and he did the fall, popping up and saying, live from New York, it's Saturday night. So they run through this whole list of people who are appearing, and Tom Hanks does a monologue that's basically about what monologues are supposed to be about. How great it is to be here, how great it is to be in New York, how great the cast and crew members are, blah, 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 and then he proceeds to launch into that exact monologue. Which, if you think of all the monologues that don't involve some sort of singing and dancing number, which a number of them have in the last few years, that's pretty much how they go. And then we start with the clips, which is what I'd fast forward to every time I watched my tape of the show. Take a whiffing. Aunt. 
Buckwheat sings a song that's eternally his. The dot, daddy diver, then on the daddy diver, the Now, there were three compilations of clips by Decade, one musical guest compilation, two tributes, because at that point, the only two cast members who had passed on were John Belushi and Gilda Radner. Um, a compilation of political humor and this weird compilation of various people playing Misty, which I did not get and still kind of don't. The Decades compilations were what my friends and I watched the most and quoted the most, which was the biggest thing about the special and more than likely one of the biggest reasons the special existed to get new viewers. We were the perfect age for that, too. Uh, We were just old enough for slightly more adult humor but not too old to actually have something to do on a Saturday night. Uh, So when we got to school on Monday, and I think basically for the next few weeks, we quoted what we saw in that special endlessly, Jane, You Ignorant Slut, The King Tut Song, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, Hans and Franz. Once again, I am Hans. Yeah, and I am Franz. And And we we are are here to pop. You are. Shit, my friend Rich and I went as Hans and Franz to the Halloween dance in seventh grade and we wound up winning funniest costume which was like a uh, we got like a, a gift certificate to record world in the in the sunvet mall <laughs> and uh the the winner of the best costume was um this this guy who went as the jack nicholson joker because this was 89 fall of 89 um and the costume was like awesome it was dead on jack nicholson joker anyway this became the thing to quote and I think I rewatched the 15th anniversary special something like 20 times over the course of my being in the 7th grade and probably even some of the 8th grade. And then my friends and I would go on to watch the show pretty religiously, especially considering that we started with a season that was the beginning of a new era for the show. As the season that began when I first started 8th grade was the first season for Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Rob Schneider, and much of the cast that I'd associate with the show, which were definitely some of my favorite SNL years. In fact, two of my all-time favorite sketches happened during this period. One is the cold opening when Charlton Heston hosted, which is the Planet of the Apes bit. And the Planet of the Apes bit goes not only through the cold opening, but through the opening credits and the monologue. And in the you, they used to just show like pictures of the cast, you know, in the, in the opening mo- in, in the opening credits. And what they did for that was actually have all of the actors in in classic Planet of the Apes makeup and they were named after the character so they they carried the bit all the way through the end of the monologue and and your host was captured human Charlton Heston and um it was commitment to a bit that that I thought w- was great because sometimes when um shows will do kind of parody episodes or crossover episodes or something like that and then and and they'll put like the regular title credit sequence in it 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 bugs me. The X-Files did an episode where they were on an episode of Cops and in the middle of like after the opening in the middle of it they they put the X-Files opening credits like they usually do in there and I was like it that's always bugged me because I liked the episode but at the same time I was like no you're 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 taking me out of it. This is me getting hung up on shit I shouldn't get hung up on. My other favorite sketch 
which was uh, the first Matt Foley sketch with Christina Applegate. It's easily one of my top five sketches of all time. First off, I am 35 years old. I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. Now, what's funny about Saturday Night Live is that I could go back to that era and probably wouldn't find it as funny, especially when the cast was more or less completely retooled in the late 1990s, and we got that long run of really great cast members that on some level continues to this day, especially with the women. Um, and I and that show got so much better in the latter part of the decade into the early 2000s. But SNL has always been a good show from week to week, and sometimes even a great show. Your average episode has at least one, maybe two sketches that aren't as funny in a rewatch as you thought they were the first time. There's also one that is absolutely god-awful and goes on for way too long. And that goes all the way back to the 70s. In fact, if you have the opportunity to watch shows from the first few seasons, you'll notice how much different it was, how there were short films in the first season, had the Muppets, and the the 70s stuff is best watched in those like Best of Saturday Night Live clip shows that they would do, or, or the Best of Saturday Night shows that Nick would do, because there was a lot of filler in the first couple of years. But since the late 80s, the show has been consistent enough for the most part. And I think that's one of the huge reasons it's been on the air for so long. For me, though, the show is a little more important than just a bunch of sketches from week to week, which is something I'll talk about when I get back. I'm going to take the car into the shop tomorrow. You mean your lame Dodge Stratus? You don't talk about my car like that. I drive a Dodge Stratus. You don't talk about my Dodge Stratus that way. You do not talk your father that way. I'm a division manager. I have to do 100 push-ups in 20 minutes. I'm going to Rob's house. Imagine the world you have known all your life suddenly begins to change. The changes are almost imperceptible at first, but soon everything comes crashing around you. Past and present contradict each other. History is no longer immutable. Inconsistencies begin to pop up. New origins rendered stories only a few years old, null and void. Those long gone are no longer dead. Worst of all, Your friends and loved ones are vanishing, or changing. The very fabric of reality surrounding the DC Universe is unraveling. In Smallville, Jor-El and Lara have returned to take Superman back to an unexploded Krypton. In Metropolis, Superman is faced with a multitude of Batmen. The time stream, made fragile by countless twists and myriad travelers, is now spinning out of control. Time is running out quickly. Only the greatest heroes of every era and reality can stop this crisis in time. And stop it they must, or the DC Universe will cease to exist, perhaps never to have existed at all. The heroes and villains of the DC Universe are facing their Zero Hour.
1994, DC published Zero Hour, Crisis in Time, a five-issue miniseries designed to fix some of the continuity issues that had cropped up since the conclusion of the Crisis on Infinite Earths. This was a huge deal, and because of that, and because Superman played such a large part in that story... From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast hosted by Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bailey. We'll be covering the Superman issues as well as Zero Hour itself. We will also be looking at all of the official crossovers to the series in addition to devoting several episodes to the follow-up event, Zero Month, where Superman meets a brand new enemy. Conduit. Zero Hour. Zero Month. Only at From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. From Crisis to Crisis can be found at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com and is part of the Superman Podcast Network, which is located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Also be sure to check out the Fortress of Bailey 2, which is located at www.fortressofbailey2.com. There you will find new episodes of From Crisis to Crisis, as well as all kinds of fun bits of business connected to Zero Hour and Zero Month. Have you heard of Blackula, the Black Dracula? Yes. Well, they have a Jewish Dracula. Oh. What's his name? Sidney Applebaum. Okay, so to bring this a little more back to me, I guess, I wanted to talk about the effect Saturday Night Live has had on my life. Now, I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm not a member of the Groundlings. I'm not part of Second City. I'm an English teacher in Virginia. (laughs) But SNL is one of those things that is important when it comes to my really loving comedy. Like I said earlier, when I saw the 15th anniversary special, I was about 12 or 13 years old. And that meant I was just the right age where my entertainment was starting to mature a little. Is that even the right word to use here? It was certainly going beyond the comedians that I thought were funny whenever I happened to be around on Saturday afternoon to watch like Star Search or something like that. And really, though, between this special, the Robin Williams at the Met special that I rented repeatedly from the video store, uh, Comic Relief, which I saw um, through tapes at the video store or listened to from CDs that I checked out of the library, and Fox's late-night airings of Comic Strip Live, I was really starting to become a big fan of comedy when I was about 13, 14 years old. And a lot of that sounds very tame. It's not particularly edgy. It's not particularly hip or cool, but... Nobody who likes comedy starts off by saying they heard a Bill Hicks album as a kid and liked it. I mean, maybe there there were, but for the most part, it's stuff that as a kid you understand. Now, granted, my first exposure to anything funny was probably a cartoon. It would, be, it would probably have been like Tom and Jerry or Looney Tunes. And you graduate to stuff. I mean, even if you hear some adult things early on, and I have friends who got their did get their hands on old like Red Fox albums at, at one point. But even then, at 12 or 13, a lot of the adult humor we didn't necessarily understand. And so, uh, you know, I didn't go from zero to 60 in, in, one, in one second. I, I started with stuff that was a little more tame and kind of seemed to work my way up, just not on purpose, just uh, it just happened that way. And Saturday Night Live 
was the gateway in a big way because it was always on every Saturday night, you know, um, and it was a gateway to comedy, stand-up comedy. It was a gateway to other sketch shows as well. Um, the early 90s was this real haven for sketch comedy shows. <laughs> Granted, a lot of them just seemed to spring up and then die just as quickly, but some of them had decent followings. The biggest example I can point to is probably In Living Color, uh, which was an important show. It wound up being a star maker. It was kind of a landmark television show. Probably deserves its own episode of a podcast somewhere down the line. But then you have The State, which was another one on MTV in the, in the early 1990s, uh, which friends and I quoted endlessly because that was one of those shows where I would go to my friend's house and watch because I wanted to watch The State, and I have the DVD set. Uh, there were other Fox shows, uh, The Edge, which was not as popular. Mad TV would eventually come around and be the one big competitor for Saturday Night Live. And uh, The Ben Stiller Show. And I love The Ben Stiller Show. I have the DVD. It only lasted one season. It's still hilarious. Even quite a number of the sketches are definitely of their time. And there was also The Kids in the Hall. And I discovered The Kids in the Hall because of Saturday Night Live. Um, I happened to be up much later than an SNL episode one time and I was flipping through uh, channels and it was on our local at the time it was on our local CBS affiliate at about one in the morning I think um, and it, or it might have been a Friday night but it was it was a weekend night I was up really really late like like after the late night talk shows were over which would have made sense because there was a point in in junior high and especially into into the early couple first couple of years of high school where I was watching um, Letterman Leno and Letterman before Letterman went over to the late show and, and so I would be up that late and Kids in the Hall was one of those shows after because they were either competing with Saturday Night Live they were on primetime or they were on after it and if I'm going to mention what was on after Saturday Night Live I really should mention Showtime at the Apollo Tonight from the Village of Harlem in New York City the world famous Apollo Theater where dreams are born and legends are made, is proud to present It's Showtime at the Apollo! It's Starring Steve Harvey! At the Apollo! With our guests all for one! It's Plus an all-new Apollo Kids competition! And Amateur Night! With Kiki Shepard, Sandman Sims, Ray Chu and the crew, and the Apollo dancers. Tonight's show is dedicated to the tree of hope, an Apollo legend. It seriously is not a joke. In New York for years, it's Showtime at the Apollo came on after Saturday Night Live, and if I was awake and didn't feel like going to bed, I'd actually watch it. And it was actually really fun to watch <laughs> for me, who had no connection to a lot of a lot of what I was seeing. But some of those some of those Apollo performances were great. But really, Saturday Night Live either purposely or inadvertently expanded my pop culture horizons. So I guess what I'm saying is that as this show turns 40 years old, 
I'm glad I've had the chance to watch it for the last 25 years, even during some of its really awful low points. And as long as I'm up, I'll tune in. Shorter episode than usual, but this was kind of a last-minute, off-the-cuff thing, even though I did write notes for it. I'll be back in a few weeks with a new episode. I'll have another DC Comics episode up in, in March as well. In the meantime, though, please check out the blog for more essays, and feel free to email me or leave a comment on the Facebook page. Until then, take care, and thanks for listening. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music, clips, and other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, show notes, and essays on other topics random in the world of popular culture can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Pop Culture Affidavit also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is the division of the Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness.